text that I'm using this morning is from the first chapter of John's gospel. When I was here before you, I spoke from Revelation that John wrote and referred back to several verses in this. Today I want to dive into this first part a little bit more intently. It's not the story of, of Mary and Joseph and the baby that you hear from Luke's gospel. But it's the same story told from a different viewpoint. The story is written by John the, John the Apostle. And as he looks back on the birth, he says, In the beginning was the Word, before there was anything else, anything around us, anything that was tangible. In the beginning was the Word, and, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, he's not talking about himself here. He's talking about John the Baptist. He says there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his, his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, the words come down to us from John the Apostle and, and they, they speak of mysteries. They're not as concrete as we might like. They speak of bigger things, of royal things, of regal things, not the routine. Come Lord Jesus. Help us to understand there's, there's more to this season than, than what we see. Way, way more. And there's more to this, to this life than we can see too. Come Lord, speak to us of things of things eternal. In your name we do pray it. Amen and, and amen. I want to open my thoughts this morning with a, with a prayer that I found, I found recently. It, it speaks to our condition. The words will be there for you. Please, please let them soak in just a little bit. It's called a prayer for those in the fast lane, and that's, that's you and me. We've been riding roller coasters again, Lord. Slowly, carefully, we climb to get to the top of our man-made mountains. Only when we get there, all we see is the bottom rushing up at us. We thank you for the thrill of the ride. We pray for those who never make it to the top. We've been riding roller coasters again, Lord. Dashing, slashing, up and down, not paying any attention to who's ahead or behind. Help us to look around and 
see who are our fellow riders. Help us to pray with them and for them. Enable us to share our lives more fully with more love than, than when we just ride. We've been riding roller coasters again, Lord. We've been seeking the cheap thrill, the inside track, the fast life. Be with those we've passed by. Wait with those who never ride and, and bring us back to seek their need. So many people need us that we grow insensitive. We just ride and ride, going nowhere. We've been riding roller coasters again, Lord. We thank you for all you do for us, and we wait in line for more. Enable us to take what we have and what we know and bring others to Christ, for there really is no other purpose in life. We try to forget that by riding. We've been riding roller coasters again, Lord. Slow us down and enable us to pray for the sick and the weary, the burdened and the idle, the jealous and the lame. Help us to pray for the warriors and the weak, the powerful and the defenseless, the angry and the saddened. Center us down and, and help us to thank you that it's possible to live for others. Go out ahead of us and, and show us that in order to live, we don't have to ride a roller coaster. We rejoice and give thanks that, that we can rest in the peace of your arms and extend our hand to others. Amen. That prayer speaks to the, to the pace of our lives, friends. It speaks to the pressures under, under which we live, and, and it speaks to the persistence with which we stubbornly, stubbornly, stubbornly continue to do our own thing. You see, the reality is that for most of us, most of the time, we run by and miss the opportunities for Christian witness that are, that are literally all around us. So much so that, that in the hectic rush we've made of the Advent season, the words of, of the Apostle John speak to us. He came to that which was his own. He came to you and me. And his own did not receive him. Now, the he that John's referring to, of course, is, is Jesus. You know, it's, it's incredible to think that that, that that could have happened 2,000 years ago. But, but it's even more incredible to think that it can and it does happen now. And not just sometimes, but every day. You see, from the beginning, Jesus experienced rejection. Jesus was the Messiah. The Messiah coming into the world through the Hebrew people. The, the Hebrew people who had been praying for his coming. The Hebrew people who had been preparing for his coming. The Hebrew people who had indeed been looking for his coming for over a thousand years. And yet when he came, they rejected him. We reject Jesus too. Not so much from hostility but from indifference, indifference. We reject Jesus not because he's unknown to us, but, but because he's so familiar to us. See, we know the story. We've heard about the babe in the manger, the wise men, 
We've heard about the shepherds and the star. We've heard about it over and over and over so many times. In fact, the story is so familiar to us that the royal gets lost in the routine and the regal gets obscured in the regular. I like that. The story is so familiar to us that the royal gets lost in the routine and the regal gets obscured by the regular. When's the last time you heard the angels sing? When's the last time you, you thought about the Christmas story or the story about royalty? When's the last time that Christmas just wasn't a bump, a bump, a bump, here we go again? Howard Thurman was on point when he said, there must always be remaining in everyone's life some place for the singing of angels where the commonplace is shot through with, with new glory. We might say that we're so familiar with, with Christmas that it's become commonplace. And we don't see the glory. Jesus often comes to his own and he's rejected. Happened in the first century, happens in the 21st century. You ever think about the fact that you reject Jesus and I reject Jesus? We do it subtly. We reject Jesus when we go along with, uh, with the prevailing trend of compromising with lawlessness and ignoring immorality rather than standing tall and strong for what we know God tells us is right. We reject Jesus when we're aware of needs of other people that, that need to be met and should be met. And yet we conceivably we just, we just conveniently forget the Savior's words. Remember what he said? Whatever you did not do for one of these, you did not do for me. In other words, when you don't do it for one of these, you reject me. Never think about that. A recent survey of active church members from across the denominational spectrum. Now, these are active people. They come to worship all the time. They're in Bible studies. They've heard more sermons than, than you've lived days in your life. They know the scriptures back and forth. But this is what's amazing. The survey reeled that 28% of the Christians interviewed believe that human beings are inherently good. This despite the teaching of scriptures that all of us are saying that everybody's falling short, nobody's measuring up, nobody's perfect. But yet 28% of active folks, just like many of you, believe that people are inherently good. Now let me tell you something, friends. I know I am not inherently good. And though I can't prove it about each one of you, my faith tells me that you're not inherently good either. And when it goes to, well, think about everybody else out there, all you got to do is look at the news, and you'll be convinced every single day that they're, they're not basically good either. 
See, the proof is there for us. We're a sorry and a scary lot. So the question becomes, how then could 28% of the active Christians believe that people are inherently good? It's only one way. They've rejected their own sinfulness, and thus they've rejected their need for a Savior, and thus they have rejected Jesus. He came to his own. He came to you and me. But his own didn't receive him. People have been rejecting Jesus from the time he, he first set foot on this earth, and the consequences have been disastrous. It happened long ago, and, and it happens today, my friends. And the sadness is it happens outside of his church, and it happens inside of his church, too. The text tells us his own rejected him. The question today is, have you rejected him? In all those subtle kind of ways, have you rejected him? Now the question becomes, how does Jesus respond when he is rejected by you and by me? Well, by God's grace, Jesus doesn't respond to rejection the way that you and I do. See? And you know why he doesn't respond the way we do? Because Jesus is inherently good. And consequently, Jesus responds to rejection today in the very same way that he responded 2,000 years ago. Now notice, notice John's words again. He came, he came, he came. He came for, for you and me. He came for, for his own 2,000 years ago. He comes for you and me today. But everybody back then and everybody today doesn't receive him. But the good news is a, a double handful of folks did. And oh, those who did, he said, come to me, come to me, join God's family, be one of his children, be one of my brothers, be one of my, one of my sisters, live with me now and forever. See, because when, when Jesus was rejected, how did he respond? He responded on Calvary's cross with his arms stretched wide. You ever think about Jesus hanging on the cross and what's he saying? He's saying, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. When Jesus was rejected then, when he's rejected now, he responds willingly, savingly, redemptively with an offer of God's grace. If you were to travel to New York City during this Advent season and go to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. You can see before you a giant 20-foot tall blue spruce Christmas tree. And the arms stretch out over, over a famous 18th century crash. All the familiar parts are there. The shepherds surprised by joy. The, the wise men on their journey. 
Mary and Joseph and the baby, they're all there, meticulously made with clay and wood. But here's the thing. If you look at it, there are two things that are strikingly dissimilar from any crash that you've ever seen before, aside from the beauty and the craftsmanship. First of all, all the figures are facing in the same direction, as if they're looking for something that's, that's going to come into the world, something's going to make a difference. And on every face is a look of anticipation. You know why that is? It's because historians tell us that when Jesus came into the world, there, there was this mood of expectancy across the whole world. People were expecting something to happen, didn't know what it was going to be, but they were expecting it. And then the second thing you see when you look at it close is you see that the manger is not in a stable. Instead, the manger is surrounded by Roman columns that are starting to, to fall apart. The cradle that holds the newborn Christ is sitting in the midst of decay. The message is the Advent message that the coming of Christ signals the birth of a new age and the death of the old world. The coming of Christ signals that the old must give way to the new. I'm wondering if we accept the truth that, that, Jesus, that Jesus came to make th all things new in your life and mine, I'm, I'm wondering what needs to be made new in your life this Advent? What old habits do you need to discard? What broken relationships do you need to mend? What are the things that you're afraid of doing that you need to summon up the courage to step up and face? What are those big fears that you've been carrying around? What are the chains you've been dragging that need to be cut loose? Who are those friends that you need to get rid of? Jesus comes to make all things new in your life and mine, and yet we stubbornly hold on to, hold on to the old. And when we hold on to the old, we reject Jesus. See, from the beginning, Jesus experienced rejection. And from the beginning, he responded willingly and savingly and, and redemptively. From the beginning, Jesus' message was what? It was love. Love. But not just love like you and I think about. It's a special kind of love. God's love. And the word for that is grace. It's the kind of love you don't earn, you don't deserve. It's just given to you. See, the, one of the things about the coming of Jesus is Jesus came to, to change how we think about God. Now, I suspect you think about a whole lot of stuff. Do you ever think about God? And if you do, what, what do you think about him? What do you think about him? 
in the 16th century. Martin Luther told a touching story about, about God's love. It, it, seems, it seems that when his, when his Bible was being translated from Latin into German, and the translation was being done there in Germany, it seems that as the printers were working on, on that translation and setting the type and all that, that, that a scrap of what had been printed fell on the floor along with other stuff in the print shop. The printer's daughter was, was helping to tidy up and she picked up one of those scraps of paper. And on that scrap of paper she read for the very first time in her own language, God so loved the world that he gave. Now, now, that's all that was on the piece of paper. The rest of the type and that verse had not been set yet. God so loved the world that he gave. See? Now, now that, was a, that was a whole new understanding of God. She, she never had, had thought about that before. See, she had always, she'd always thought about God the way that most of us think about him, that we think that God is someone to be feared. She carried that little piece of paper to her mama. Her mama read it. And then the mama asked, she said, God so loved the world that, that he gave. What was it that he gave, child? The printer's daughter responded, I don't know, mama. But if you loved us well enough to give us anything, then we don't need to be afraid of him. If he loved us enough to give us anything, we don't need to be afraid of him. What do you think about, about God? The basic message of Advent is that Jesus came not to, not to tell us about God, but he came to show us God. He came to show us how much God loves us. The question is how we, how we're going to respond. How are you going to respond? This isn't the first time you heard this story. How have you responded to Jesus' coming? As I read the text for today, there, there seem to be two possibilities. The first I've spoken of is, is rejection. You know, when you, when you think about it, we can celebrate this season and bypass Bethlehem altogether. All we've got to do is join the, the millions of folks out there, the millions of folks for whom this, this Advent season is no more than a than a blur of hustling and bustling, no more than, than roller coaster riding, in advance of celebrating a secular winter holiday. Now, we could do that. But wouldn't it be a shame if, if Jesus came to his own again this year, and, and again this year we, we miss Bethlehem? Again this year we rejected him? The other possibility, of course, is is acceptance. John tells us there were some who received him. And for those folks who received him, those folks who believed his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Are you one of God's children? Do you know him or you just know about him? I use stories in my sermons a lot. 
I do that, I do that for a reason. You see, sometimes a good story points to a big, big truth that if I used a lot of words to explain to you, it would go right over the top of your head. But you remember the story. Stories always point to something bigger than themselves. They point to a truth that's easily missed. My mother taught me that Christmas trees were stories, that they were bigger than themselves. I remember as a little boy, she, she pointed out to me that Christmas trees always point to God. I miss that. Always point to God. My mama's Christmas tree was special. It sat on top of a whiteboard about three and a half feet by three and a half feet. My mother's father was a nurse in the Veterans Hospital at Columbia. He didn't have anything. So when, when my father and father got married, he took what he had and he made a gift for him. It was a board to put a Christmas tree on, all painted white. And it had a little fence around the outside of it he'd made for. It was made out of those tongue depressors that doctors used to use, those little wooden tongue depressors. And on, on each corner, he'd taken the tubes that, that adhesive tape were wrapped on, and he'd put them up together and, and wrapped them up and ran a Christmas tree light up through the middle of it. So on each corner, there was a Christmas tree light. And then under the tree, he had made five little houses. There was a tree light in one of those, each one of those two, little cars in front of them. And I remember so well, there was a plastic white church that was there. It's a wind-up church, and you wind it up, and it played Silent Night. And you had the tree anchored in the middle of the thing, and the tree's branches came up, and it was like this idyllic little town underneath the, underneath the Christmas tree. Now, this is during the Depression. Nobody had anything. My grandfather gave what he had. He built that board for a wedding present. And the Christmas ornaments were ones that folks had given to my parents. And there was a story with each ornament, you know, a story that, that pointed to a person, that pointed to a memory. When I was in the fifth grade, not the fifth grade, when I was five, I was in kindergarten, our teacher had us make gifts, a Christmas gift for our parents. And the gift that we all made was a chain. And she gave us red construction paper and green construction paper. And that white glue, white paste that gets all over everything. And we cut it up into little strips. We made little rings of red and green. We made a little chain like that. And I gave it to my mama. Mama thought that was the most beautiful thing she'd ever gotten. And you know, from the time I gave it to her, she died, she was 99, she died a couple of years ago. As beautiful as her tree was, that little chain that I made when I was five years old was right there 
in the front of it. See? And when I'd lay down in front of that, you know, and look at everything there, I could imagine all kind of stuff. But you know what stuck in my mind? Was that little chain. How much my mama loved me. See? That there was beauty where you can't see it. There's love where you can't feel it. Rebecca has that board now. What memories do you have of Christmas? What's on your Christmas tree? What does it mean to you? Is it a story of God's love? Does it point you to your Heavenly Father? Or is it just a decoration you need to have in this time of year? Fulton Orsler tells a wonderful story about, about God's love, and I'll, I'll close with this. It's a story about a man who owned a, an antique jewelry store. It was a young man, Pete Richards, just 30 years old. But even though he was young, his hair was, had already turned gray because he'd had so much sadness in his life. And perhaps the big weight of sadness that he was carrying around was the fact that several years earlier, the beautiful blonde-haired, blue-eyed woman that he'd been engaged to had been tragically killed in an automobile accident. The car she was driving had hit a patch of ice and it skid head-on into a truck coming in the opposite lane and she died. And, and though she died a couple years earlier, that memory was just as real to Pete as if it happened yesterday. One afternoon during the Advent season, a little girl came in, in Pete's shop. <coughs> she had blonde hair and blue eyes, and, and she just was walking all around looking, looking like she was looking for something but didn't know what she was looking for. And then all of a sudden she stopped before a display case. And she got closer and closer, and the cases were big, and she was little, and she was tipping on her tiptoes to, to see something in the back. And, Pete went over to him and said, can, can I help you? And he said, yes. You see that little blue necklace in, in the back? I'd, I'd, like to, I'd like to see that up close. So Pete took it out and handed it to the child. She looked at it and, and she said, my name is Jean. I want to buy this necklace as a gift for my sister for Christmas. See, my mother died three months ago, and this will be the first Christmas that we'll be celebrating without her. And my sister, my sister's been so good to me. I want to give her this necklace as a present. Pete looked at the child, he said, do you, do you have any money? Do you know how much this necklace costs? The child said, oh, it's, it's, just, it's just so perfect, and I'm ready to buy it. Will you please wrap it up for me? At that, she took out a little, little handkerchief. She had it tied in a knot. She untied the knot, and, and she pulled out a handful of pennies on the counter. 
Pete looked at the pennies. He looked at the necklace. And his eyes started to well up as he was trying to figure out how he was going to tell this little child who was so intent on purchasing this necklace for his sister that he couldn't sell it to her for pennies. But then he looked at her blonde hair and he looked at those blue eyes. And as the tears started streaming, he disappeared. A short while later, he was back and he gave the child a little package all wrapped up. And he said, here it is, Jane. Please don't lose it on your way home. The Advent season was, was rushed as usual and some 10 days later on Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve, Pete was closing up his shop and, and a woman walked in the front door. She had blonde hair and blue eyes. And without saying a word, she walked up to him, she opened her purse and she pulled out the little package that, that he'd wrapped. She looked at Pete and, and, and she said, did this string of blue beads come from your shop? Yes, yes. Are these stones real? Oh, yes. Well, do you remember to whom you sold them? Yes. She was a little girl. Her name was Jean. And she bought them as a Christmas present for, for her sister. How much are they worth? Pete said, well, the price is always a confidential matter between the consumer and the seller. She looked at him and she said, but all, all Jean had was just a, a few pennies. Pete handed pack, he handed the package back to the young woman and he said, she paid the biggest price anyone can pay. She gave all she had. She paid the biggest price anyone can pay. She gave all she had. Friends, do you realize that Jesus paid the biggest price that anyone could pay to ransom you? He gave himself. He gave all he had. And my prayer for you in this Advent season is that you'll respond in kind. That you'll give him all that you have that really matters. That you'll give him yourself. That you'll receive him. And know the joy of being received by him. Let's pray. Up and down, up and down, up and down. Round and round we, we ride that roller coaster. It's a way of hiding out from the realities 
can we go fast so that we can forget all that we're trying to run away from? We don't look ahead. We don't need to because it's just going to go up and down and round and round. And one day it's going to look like the next. It's going to look like the next. It's going to look like the next. We're riding that roller coaster. Lord, help us to understand there's more, there's more to, that, to life than that. That you came to shut the roller coasters down. You walked, you didn't run, you didn't ride a car, you didn't have any gadget in your hand, you didn't want any kind of distractions, you wanted to look at us eyeball to eyeball. You wanted to hug us one by one so that we would know, so that we would know the power of your love. Lord, forgive us for being indifferent indifferent to those around us, indifferent to you. Forgive us for those subtle kind of ways that we reject you. In the power of your Spirit, fill us in this Advent Christmas season so that our hearts would be broken open to receive you. Come, Lord Jesus. In your name we do pray it. Amen. Won't you stand and sing with us?